Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. Well, how many of you are catching on after this morning's service that we are about to go into a life-changing, soul-saving, ridiculously fun week at the NOYC? Amen. Are you excited? Amen. Not for the games, not for the slime, not for the food. I'm excited to see what Jesus is going to do at the NOYC. We are T-minus six days. <gasps> T-minus six days before we leave for camp. And I hope you've been preparing your hearts and getting ready for what he's about to do. And knowing that I'd be in front of you our last Sunday together, I have just felt this tremendous burden. Uh, and I've been praying for a month you know, plus that the Lord would just give me what you need. Because I know Josh will just hurt you. Josh will just harm you. Josh has nothing to benefit you this morning, but the Lord knows everything you need. He knows every, he knows every syllable. He knows every, everything you need, he knows. And so, Lord, just let me give it to them. I've been praying that and praying that. Uh, not, I'm not complaining, I promise. But I spent three days, I don't know how many hours this week, three full days working on a message and scrapping that one, starting another one. And last night we got home from working all day and I went home and this is where the Lord directed us. And I have no doubt, I have no doubt, not even a slightest sliver of doubt. This is from the Lord. Amen. And that's the best kind of message to give because I don't care what you think about it. <laughs> I don't care if you enjoy it. I don't care if it's misery because it came from him. It's none of my business. And so, this morning, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So we're about to go into a week that is exhausting. I, Tina, they didn't hear that. We're about to go into an exhausting week. Yeah. We're about to go into a trying week, a bumpy week, a week where you're going to be faced with difficulties and dilemmas, and you're going to be asked to do things beyond your capability and beyond your comfort zone. Exciting stuff, right? What if I were to tell you that I could absolutely, completely, 100% guarantee that you will have a victorious week at camp? What if I were to offer you that you could 100% be certain that in every situation, in every circumstance that you face while you're at camp, you'll be successful? A way that you could be sufficiently supplied for in every moment of every day. I'm talking about absolute triumph this morning at all times would you be interested yeah. sign you up ready now if you're not going to camp i realize there are several of you who aren't able to join us by all means you guys have shown your hearts bless your souls man you guys have been so supportive this year whether you get to go or not but whatever you're going to be doing the week we're down there i'm sure you'll get some dilemmas your own it's okay we'll share would you like to be victorious at home would you like every 365 days a year 24 7 would you like to have triumph in your life some of you are like, this is the worst infomercial I've ever heard. It's too good to be true. Don't believe it. Today's message is simple and straightforward. Honestly, I told Jenny this is probably the simplest message I have ever uh, been given from the Lord. We have two choices this morning. We can decide now on defeat, or we can volunteer in victory. Just stand with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. 
Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Go back to the top of number 14 with me. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. I said, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are a savor of death unto death and unto the other a savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Church, would you join me in prayer? Oh God, this morning, how my heart's overwhelmed and overflowing and anxious and so many things, but God, you're enough. Oh God, you're enough. I thank you, Lord, that we know that you're enough, God. It's not up for debate. It's not up for negotiation. You are enough this morning. Oh God, get me out of your way. God, keep me from saying or doing anything, God, that is of Josh. God, may not a single thought, may not a single breath, not a single syllable, not a single droplet of spit come from me, but God, may it all fully and wholly come from you. God, you have what these people that I love need this morning. Would you give it to them as only you can? God, preach this message. God, it's yours. God, may my hands be your hands and my feet, your feet, my heart, your heart, my mind, your mind, my mouth, your mouth. God, take control. God, without you, we can do nothing. Lord, how we love you and how we thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So Paul says, thanks be unto God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Does that seem audacious to anybody else? Like, I read that, I'm like, ah, Paul, typo. Like that, you meant sometimes. You meant most times. You meant, eh. Always. always. The word always is audacious. It's, it's cut and dry, right? It's close the book. Always triumph in Christ. Always. You're always triumphant. Always victorious. Always, at all times, Paul says, Christ causes you to triumph. Always. In fact, it's even better than that because if you look at the original text of this, in verse 14, you find that the word causeth and the word triumph are actually the same word. Same word. So really, we could read this and it could say, thanks be unto God which triumphs us to triumph in Christ. Paul, how triumphant are we? We are triumphantly triumphant. God, how, how, how victorious are we? Well, you're victoriously victorious. You're a winner, winner. No, just winner, winner. Listen, Paul makes a bold claim here. This is a big, this is a big claim. Paul says, always victorious. Always. You're not, that's always. Class, what does that not include? Always is always is always. It includes everything at all times, in all places, always. Always triumphant. When are you triumphant? Always. always. 
Paul says believers walk in a sustained victory. A sustained victory. If you're in Christ, it's definite. It's sustained. It remains. You are always victorious in Christ. Do you grasp the audacity of this statement? Always able to triumph, period. There is never, ever, ever, ever a time or a moment or a single instance where you are not triumphant in Christ. It's not possible to follow Jesus and walk in defeat. It's not, that's not a possibility. Why? Because Paul says Christ always causes us to triumph. He only walks in one way. Triumph. And so if you're following him, you are following in triumph. Yeah, how many of you can attest this morning that there's been one or two or a thousand days in my life when triumph would not be the adjective of choice to describe how my day was going? Can I get an amen? amen. Whether it's because of sin, whether it's because of selfishness, whether it's because of discouragement or dilemmas, the fact is that Christians, even here at St. Hill, we are infamous for defeat. Infamous for walking and defeat. And so the question that we have to ask here is, was Paul wrong? Was, was, was he lying to the Corinthian Christians, trying to seem better than it was? Was he exaggerating? Because Paul writes here, if you are walking in defeat, if you have even a singular moment where you are not triumphant, then guess what? You must not be following him. Because Christ always walks and triumph. He always leads us. He always causes us to triumph. Triumphant is the only pathway that he walks on. That's the only place he'll lead you. Triumph. And so in order to not walk in triumph, you're not following him, right? You've got off following him because he always causes us to triumph. Yet Paul here is actually referencing something. And, and when we read our Bibles, we don't get, we didn't live in his time, we don't get this. Paul's actually referencing a word picture. He's describing an event that took place in his day. In the Roman Empire, they had what was called a triumph parade. In the ancient days, Rome would triumph over an adversary, and they would lead a parade through the streets of their town led by the triumphant general who would return from their conquest and they would march through the streets in an obnoxious, victorious fashion. And the, uh, literally, the history says that all eyes of the world would be on the parade in Rome. Listen, this wasn't a Cold Creek parade through our little tiny town. We're talking the Roman Empire, the biggest force at the time in the planet, throws the largest parade imaginable. It was a spectacle that was said to be beyond what your imagination could receive. This is what one Bible commentator writes. In a triumph procession, the victorious general marched through the streets of Rome to the capital. First came the officials and the Senate, then came the trumpeters, then were carried the spoils that they had conquered from the land, then came pictures of the conquered land and models of the conquered ships, floats. There followed the white bull of sacrifice, which would be made, followed by the musicians with their lyres and their priests, swinging their censers with sweet-smelling incense burning in them. Finally came the army, wearing all their decorations and shouting, Lo, triumphe! 
at the as the procession moved through the streets, all the decorations and garlands were, and the crowd were cheering them on. It made for a tremendous day that may only happen once in a lifetime. And this is what Paul's writing about here. History records that the victorious general would be arrayed with a purple raiment and a mock crown of royalty would be placed on the general's head for this parade, making him a display of near divinity. The general leading this victorious parade would be upheld as a mere mortal citizen who became lowly as a humble citizen and saved their land. And to commemorate the celebration, the general would offer a sacrifice at the temple. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Does anybody see the symbolism there? Paul writes that Christ is our victorious general, arrayed with purple, a crown of thorns upon his head, divinity come to earth, made a common, humble citizen of this planet, and he is now leading this triumphant parade. And having already won the battle, having already defeated the enemy, having overcome the adversary, Christ leads this triumphant parade, proclaiming his victory has been accomplished. How can Paul make such audacious claims as we will always be triumphant in Christ? Well, the fact is that in reality, the war is not going on anymore. The war is not about to happen. It's over. It's not audacious to claim the victory when it's won. It's a fact. It, take, it has taken place in the past completed. Christ won. Listen, wake up. Christ won. Christ won. Christ won. No, no, no. Jesus won. It's been accomplished. That's past, present, and future. Won. We're following the victorious general. Christ one, he marches through this world in this victory parade, always parading around and celebrating his victory. And he says, as long as we walk after him, as long as we follow him on the parade route, we will always walk in victory, triumph. And yet as completely great news as this is, isn't that great news? You get to walk in victory. Some of you are like, I will figure that out after coffee. It's great news. Your face doesn't know it yet. It's great news that we walk in victory. Believe me, it's exciting. Your soul is just shouting for joy right now. It is great news that we walk in victory. But listen, it's also pretty inconvenient. It's inconvenient, is it not? I imagine being one of the poor saps who, who's walking behind the general, right? They're in this parade, the general, the victorious guy who won the war. He's walking, and you're one of the poor saps that was also in the battle. You also gave your life for these people, and yet no one pats you on the back. And yet no one knows your name. No one throws confetti at you, right? You don't get a purple robe and a crown. You did work too. No one's applauding. No one's recognizing. You are tired. You just came back from war. You're exhausted. You're battle-ridden. And yet there's no time to rest because you got to march in the victory parade. Victory parades are rather inconvenient at times. It's inconvenient because the truth is, though there's a parade going on at times, there are moments when I only want a pity party of one. Skip the parade, pity party, right here. Though he may be leading me through triumph, I would much rather be grumpy, irritated, sour, selfish, cynical, lazy. When someone says something or does something, when circumstances aren't ideal and situations stink, though we may have victory available, 
Though the parade route may be going forward with Christ leading, we choose to opt out. We send the triumphant parade of Christ around the block. We tell him, circle back. I'm going to sulk a while. I'll catch you on the next lap. Listen, look up here. The victory parade is going on with or without you. With or without you, whether you're in route or not, the parade is marching on. Christ won. He always causes us to triumph. Do we get that if you are actively walking, actively following Christ in his victory, there is not a single moment of defeat. There's no room for a millisecond of discouragement. You literally have to get off the route to decide on defeat. Because he only walks in triumph, always, no exceptions. When does he walk in triumph? Always, always. You need to remember that. We've got some rough two weeks ahead of us. We need to remember where the parade route is going. We need to remember what's coming ahead because there are going to be distractions trying to get you off the parade route. There are going to be things that are going to try to pull your attention. There are going to be irritations. There's going to be people poking you with sticks on this parade route, trying to get you to get off the route. And yet, we can always walk in triumph. Stay on the parade route. Stay in the procession. Don't you dare step off because every force will come against you to convince you otherwise. This is the challenge today, folks. We are almost to camp, and after camp is over, listen, we are returning here. Christ is going to march his people through a victorious parade of triumph. He's going to lead those who followed him faithfully through victory. Are you going to be in the parade route? Are you going to follow him where he leads in these next two weeks? Are you going to be able to proudly and boldly stand behind Christ, your commander, as he marches through the streets proclaiming his name? And know that every moment was given to him at camp. You didn't skip a day of victory. You didn't take a quick exit. You didn't take a shortcut. You were faithful and following in victory at all times. I want to be in that route. I want to stay in that procession. I want to come back and give him glory for what he has done at the NOYC. I never went back, Lord. I never exited the route while I was at camp. I want you to ask yourself now, church, will you remain on the route? Will you remain in the procession when things fall apart, when you're worn out, when there are rude people and there will be rude people? Will you remain on the victory route? Will you sustain your victory? Look again at verse 14 with me. Paul writes about making manifest, making known the Savior, or the Savior, rather, making known the delight of Jesus. Amen? Don't you want people to know about Jesus? Amen. But catch how. This is the funny, it's not funny, it's very sobering. Catch how God makes manifest the delight of Jesus by us. By us. What we find is that God's plan for spreading victory, spreading victory. We've been talking a lot in Sunday school, but catch what Paul writes here. God's plan is that every single person who you come in contact with will learn how sweet Jesus is by seeing you. They'll find a delight in knowing who Jesus is. How? Through you. You're his plan. You're what draws people to the delight of the knowledge of Jesus. Is that mind-blowing to anybody else? 
not majestic mountains, not starry skies, not the proclaiming preacher, but God makes manifest who Jesus is by you. By you. That's his plan. You are his plan. Why does no one at camp know Jesus? I'm looking at the reason. He makes himself known by you. God, in all of his infinite wisdom, said that you are the best way for people to know Jesus. He determined that Richard would truly be the best way for people to know how sweet Jesus is. He wanted the world to know that, Jeff, Jeff, when I look at you, I determine that Jesus is sweet and I want some of that. When they look at you, they come to see that I want the knowledge of who you serve through you. And so think about Paul's picture here. You're walking through this parade route. You're proclaiming to the world about this victory found in your commander, Christ. And yet you're pouting. You're disgruntled. You're hateful. You're short. Has that ever happened at camp? Some of you are looking at me very cynical right now. What are you really portraying about the victory you're following? That's not triumph. Many of us are too busy in our own pity parties that we miss the opportunity to invite someone to the parade route. If you go to camp and you have a, sh a chip on your shoulder, if you are short with someone, if you have an attitude or you're selfish, listen, you have exited the parade route. No one wants your Jesus. Let me say that again. If you are grumpy or short or have a chip on your shoulder or are not acting like Jesus, you have exited the route that he is on and nobody wants what you're offering. I see your Jesus. Nope, want none of that. No one wants your Jesus when they see that in you. No one wants a defeated Jesus. No one wants a discouraged Jesus. No one wants an attitude Jesus. No one wants what you have because you don't even want it yourself. The truth is they can find a discounted defeat in plenty of other places and so they have no interest in joining the parade. And so think about, what is the point here? What is the reason that he's spreading this victory around? Why is he marching people through the streets in Jesus' name? What does God desire for the world? We, you know your Bibles. What does God desire for the world? What does he desire for the carnal Christian at camp? What is it that he desires that worldly believer to have? What does he want that pansy of a preacher to come to know? What does he want that ornery teenager, that selfish counselor, that unappreciative preteen? What does God really want for them? He desires them to know, understand, and comprehend who he is. That's the point of the parade. That's the point of the parade. It's pointing to Jesus. The point of the parade is that everyone would come to know who Jesus is. He wants them more than anything to come to know Jesus, more than riches, more than comforts, more than wealth, more than health, more than fame, more than career, more than anything. God desires each and every person on this planet to come to the knowledge of who Jesus is. And guess how he plans to accomplish that? I'm looking at it. You are his plan. This word knowledge here that Paul uses in verse 14 is the word gnosko. I know I've touched on this before. One of, my, one of my top five favorite Greek words. The word gnosko means knowledge on a level beyond acquaintance. It means to know someone in the biblical sense, if you know what I mean. God wants to make manifest the intimate knowledge of Jesus. He doesn't want you, he doesn't want someone to come up to Georgie and say, oh, Jesus, I, I see, that's a guy. No, he wants them to come to an intimate knowledge, a intimacy with Jesus by you. Do you see how that's so much deeper than what we offer when we go tell someone about Jesus? Hello, where will you go when you die? No. 
They need to come to know the intimacy, the knowledge of Jesus. That's what changes their lives. And Paul writes that we are the advertisement for Jesus. We are what entices them. We're what draws them in. When you're, whenever, I don't know if your neighbors ever grill, if your neighbors ever out and they're on the grill and they got a sizzling steak, you smell it. You smell it. And what do you do? Your stomach starts grumbling. You start to look over the fence. What is that? That's a savor. That's a savor. That's a delight, right? You smell what is coming from what, and now you want what they've got. Guess what? Paul says you are the savor. You are the delight of knowledge of Jesus. They, should, they shouldn't smell you. Don't let anyone smell you at camp. They should want Jesus by being near you without smelling. Ask yourself, are you making him known? With your life right here in Sandusky, Ohio on June something or another, 2021, are you making Jesus Christ known in your life? Because guess what? You're his plan. There's no backup. God said you are going to make him known. Are you making him known? Are you pointing his way? Are you in all things saying Jesus has won? Jesus always causes us to triumph. Jesus is enough. He's sufficient. He satisfies my life. Are you manifesting his delight? Listen, during the week of camp, we desire that over 300 people would come to a more intimate knowledge of who Jesus is. Amen? We want 300 people to leave Warsaw, Ohio and say, oh, Jesus, I know him. From the youngest to the oldest, we want them to leave experiencing and encountering Jesus. And though we're going to have prayer stations, and though we're going to have devotion classes, and though we're going to have really great church services, do you realize that you are the way that they're going to encounter him? Not the other guy, not others, not Josh, you you are how they're going to come to know him. You're his plan at youth camp. You're his plan at youth camp. You're the way he wants to bring them to an intimacy of him. He desires for them to delight in him through you. Will you let him? Will you make yourself available and accessible for his agenda at all times? Will you say, Lord, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how inconvenient, if you want them to know you, you can use me. You can make yourself manifest through me. Notice verse 14. Look again at the last two words. Where, where does he want to make Jesus known? Every place. Every. Do you see how Paul is very matter of fact? There's no wiggle room with Paul. Always in every place. Well, what about my excuses, Paul? Always in every place. Always in every place. Say that to yourselves, because I can see that's just not. Always in every place. Where does that not include? Every. Every place. Always. If you read verse 13, if you read the first 13 verses of this chapter, Paul's actually explaining to the church of Corinthians why he has chosen the route he's taken, why he's traveled here, and why he's traveled there, and why he's not come to Corinth. He's, he's not arguing, but he's explaining his travel plans. I've not come to you. Why, Paul? Because I've been following the parade route. I've been following wherever Christ leads. If Christ wants to lead to Ephesus, well, I'm following the parade route, so I'm going to Ephesus. If God wants uh, Jesus to be made known in Colossae, well, guess what? I'm going to follow the parade route. I'm following to Colossae. If he wants to go to Asia, I'm going to follow the parade route to Asia. Wherever God wants Jesus to be made known, he sends us the victory parade. And so, every place. 
Some of you are going to be at camp, and you're going to be in the forefronts of the kids, right? You're going to be in, the, in front of everybody. Lord help us. Some of you are going to be more behind the scenes. Some of you are going to be counselors. Some of you are going to be in the kitchen. Some of you are going to be in security and guards, game coordinators, daycare. You're going to be a camper on the teams. Listen, God has one priority at the NOYC, making Jesus known. And as such, he's going to lead you. He's going to lead the parade route to places where he needs to be made known. He's going to direct the triumph parade in the precise place where Jesus needs to be made known. If you'll let him, listen, he's going to put you at the lunch table with the kid who needs to know Jesus. He's going to walk you right through a conversation that points to Christ because that's where he needs to be made known. He's going to let you bunk with a non-believer so that he, Jesus, can be made known because he leads the triumph parade where he needs to be made known. He spreads the triumph parade. And at camp, God's going to do that. God's going to, you know, you're going to be doing work. You're going, to be, you're going to think you're going to be playing these goofy games Josh makes you do. You're going to be thinking you're, fit, you're eating the delicious food Velvet makes you eat, but guess what? God has another agenda. Though your stomach's growling, though your legs are hurting and need more coffee, guess what? God has an agenda. He's going to lead you. He's going to point you. He's going to travel that victory parade right to this precise place where he needs to be made known. Will you follow the parade route? Will you stay on course? Will you go with the procession or will you get off? Drop down to the end of verse 16. Paul writes of the sufficiency of victory, the sufficiency of victory. Look at verse 16, the end there. Who is sufficient for these things? Verse 17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God speak we in Christ. So here's Jesus. Jesus is the one who overcame death, hell, and the grave. Amen. No, no, no. I said, here's Jesus, the one who overcame death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Okay. Thank you. You're awake. Jesus is marching as a victorious general through this world. He's won the war. And we are the people marching in the parade, pointing to him. By me, they will watch and they will know of his victory. And Paul says, Who's sufficient? <laughs> Who's sufficient? Paul writes, how could, how could I ever be enough to tell people who he is? How could I ever have the ability, the means, to make him known? Listen, this is the thing. The harder I try to make him known, the more the parade will implode. The more I try, the more the parade will implode. Can I get an amen? The more I try to be enough, the more I give my effort, the more ability that I work in of myself, the more my insufficiency will be displayed. Imagine you're going to youth camp, Velvet's in the kitchen, she's cooking away. And Rachel and Jamie are zooping by and doing all this stuff. And imagine that you hear this giant explosion coming from the corner of camp and everyone's like, oh my goodness, what happened, what happened, what happened, what happened? No. And someone says, oh, well, someone tried to point to themselves on the parade. <laughs> Does that ever happen at camp? Are there ever people at youth camp who point to themselves, who try to make themselves known, who try to do things their way, who try to make Jesus known through their efforts? <laughs> the parade implodes. Why? Because Jesus will not allow glory to be stolen from himself. Listen, you're not sufficient. <clears throat> Listen, you're not sufficient. You can't do youth camp. 
You are not able. You are not the victory, victorious general. You're not able to triumph on your own. While Christ has overcome the enemy, you were sitting on Satan's side. You are insufficient. You have no right to celebrate. You have no reason to glory except for Jesus and him crucified. Guys, listen. I can do nothing. What can you do? Nothing. Paul says, who's sufficient? Who's sufficient? The world's looking at this parade wanting to know him. Who's sufficient? I love this. This is so great. This is so great. This is so near to my heart. Paul goes on to write that we're not corrupt like other men. We don't water down. We don't infringe upon the word of God and who he is with our lives, Paul says. But then Paul writes, we, we don't get in his way, but instead we speak of Christ in sincerity. This is so great. The word that Paul uses here for sincerity is the word ilegrenaya. That's what we're going to go with. <laughs> Don't ask me to say it again, please. It's this word, and it means pure or transparent. It means when you hold something up to the sun, the sun shines through. Amen. Ooh, that's good. Listen, Paul says we speak Christ in sincerity. We speak Christ by being transparent, by being invisible, so that the sun can shine through me. Amen. Ah. Oh. Paul writes that we, we don't corrupt, we don't dilute, we don't muddy up who he is. Instead, in transparency, we speak Christ. We don't stand in his way. We don't march in the parade so that people can see us. We walk always in victory, making him known to all people in all places by being transparent so that the sun can be seen through us. What does the word transparent mean? Invisible, right? Invisible. See right through it. Listen, we literally are to live in such a way where we cannot be seen, but he can be seen at all times and in all places in and through us. We live so that he can shine through our lives. Being a Christian means speaking Christ, living Christ transparently, allowing the sun to shine through you. As we've been saying in Sunday school, being a Christian is making yourself invisible so that the invisible God can become visible. They stop seeing you, and they start seeing him. Listen, we're going to go to camp, and each and every one of us are going to come back. We're going to, we're going to, while we're at camp, we're going to have this propensity to be seen. We're going to have this desire that we will be made known. We're going to have this desire to be looked at. I'm not talking about storming the stage during the service. Please don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about while you're at camp, you're going to want to think about you. You're going to want to think about your body. You're going to want to think about your feelings, your opinions, your thoughts, your desires, your family, your job, your staff. You're going to want to think about you. And as your life is being held up to the sun, people won't see him. They come to camp to know Jesus, and they find you. What a disappointment. I mean, I'm going to be handing out refunds like crazy if you guys let me down like that. They come to meet Jesus, and they only meet you. I mean, y'all are great, but Jesus, really? Don't get in his way. Listen. Don't you dare get in the way of Jesus. He wants to shine into these hopeless lives of these children. Don't you dare get in his way. And don't you dare let me get in his way. You hold me accountable. 
Let's hold one another accountable. Let's be man and woman enough. Let's be godly enough to say, you know what, Brother Charles? I can't see him. You know what, Sister Bessie? I think you got off the route. Parade's going this way. Don't you dare get in his way. He is calling all people to himself in all places at all times. Make your life invisible so that he can be seen. God is looking down and he has such a desire for every person at camp to come to know him intimately and yet they can't because you are in the way. There's a lack of sincerity in most of our lives and it should scare us to death. We should be on high alert and high guard against anything that is not transparency. He can't be seen because I am seen too much. What would it look like to refuse to be seen at camp? Man, that's a question. What would it look like to refuse to be seen at camp? Though you may be seen by everybody, though you may talk to every single team that comes through there, what would it look like for you to be invisible, like you were never there at all? To make Jesus known and to let him shine in and through you every single second of every single day, when you're hot, when you're tired, when you want to take a break, when you're at your wit's end, will you make him known? Will you live invisibly? Will you say, I'm not sufficient, but Jesus, you are more than enough. Listen, there are some of you going to camp for the first time. There are some of you who are feeling this worry, insufficiency. You're like, yes, Paul, who can be sufficient because it's not me at camp this week, right? I know. I can see it. You know what I say? Praise God. There's nothing that makes him more visible. Nothing that allows him to shine brighter than an invisible, insufficient, weak vessel. He shines brightest through you. The more you recognize that you can do nothing, the more he can do everything. Paul says, who is sufficient? The more you grasp your insufficiency, the more you will pray, Lord, I can't, but you can, and I'm asking that you would. Each and every day, listen, I'm not, I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you, Josh is pathetic. Pathetic's not even a bad enough word. Josh is pathetic. I hit my knees every single day of my life, over and over throughout the day, and this is what I pray. Thank you, God, that I'm not enough. Thank you, God, that I am not enough for youth camp. I am not enough to sing or preach or parent or ministry. or not. I, Josh is bankrupt in sufficiency, unable. Thank you, Lord, because that's showing me just how enough you are. That's showing me just how sufficient you are. God, I'm grateful I'm not enough because I've come to find that you are. God, I can't, but you will. Listen, is he your sufficiency? I'm not talking about for the hard job. They're all hard jobs, let's be honest. I'm not talking about the jobs where you're going to, you know, with the kids. Listen, if you're taking out garbage, you can't do it without Jesus. You can't be seen taking out the garbage and make him shine. All things, always, all places, let him shine. Is he your sufficiency? If you go to camp attending to do anything other than his ability through your life, you will fail, period. You'll get off the victory parade. You will not make him known. The last and maybe the most sobering point is this. The separating of victory. The separating of victory. Look back at verse 15 with me. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Verse 16. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other we are savor of life unto life. This is the thing. A parade of triumph is only one-sided. Only one side of a battle celebrates. Only one side of a battle is victorious. In war there is a winner, and in war there is a loser. 
As the Roman triumph parade would make its way through the streets, those on the side of Rome would smell it. They would see it, and they would celebrate. They would cheer because of the victory. But there were some. They chose the wrong side. They chose to side against Rome. And yet, those who opposed Rome, they saw death marching through the streets. This parade pointed to their demise. They had chosen the wrong side of this war. And so the Romans made this practice. They would take all of the princes and all of the leaders and all the generals of the opposing kingdom and they would chain them and make them march through a, through a parade pointing at their defeat. They would be forced to walk in a parade that humiliated them. And ultimately, these people in chains knew that whenever the parade ended, though some were celebrating, this pointed to their death. As the symbol stopped, as the celebration ceased, so would their lives. Listen, Christ has won. Christ has won. The battle is over. Victory is verified. We have a winner. Right now, the parade is still going on. Right now, he's still marching us through this world so that he can be made known. But listen, one day, God's going to say, enough. The parade stops now. Him being made known stops now. And if you've sided on the wrong kingdom, if you've chosen to oppose God with your life, if you have not lived following Christ as your commander, the sound of the symbol stopping will mean death, judgment. Listen, have you picked a side? I'm not asking if you've said a prayer this morning. I'm not asking if you've knelt at an altar. I'm not even asking if you attend church. I'm asking if Jesus Christ is your commander. Is he calling the shots in your life? Is he in charge of every moment in your life? Are you walking daily in victory? There are two sides to eternity. Which will you choose? But until then, listen, folks. Listen, Sandhill. There's a parade going on. There's a triumphant celebration marching through this world, being led by Christ himself. When we get back from camp, there will be some of us who are going to be celebrating. There are going to be some of us who are going a victory lap around what God has done. And then there will be those who chose self over Savior, those who put themselves in charge of the week of camp, those who were selfish instead of selfless, those who were, hum were not humble. I want you to sincerely ask yourself, when you get back from youth camp, Will you be a part of that parade route? Will you determine now that I can't, but he can, and he will? Will you make up your mind that you are insufficient, but he is enough? Will you let him be seen and known wherever he leads? Listen, I already touched on this. What would it look like for us to be man and woman enough to call each other out at camp? Man or woman enough? Listen, Josh is going to take every chance he, he can that was not good. Josh is going to take every single moment that he can, and he's going to want to rear his ugly head up. Don't let him. What would it look like for us to stop one another from exiting the parade route? Listen, when I get back from youth camp, I want to celebrate what Christ has done. I want to be victorious and triumphant and give a great round of applause and march around saying he has done a great work. But I don't want to do it alone. I want all of you to be in that route. I want every single one of you to stay on the parade path, the parade procession. Make sure you stay on the route. Do you want to return 
and unity to celebrate together. Listen, let's not let one another exit the room. Let's remain, let's rejoice, let's remember it's all through to, for, and by Jesus. Will you volunteer for victory? We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we made together and embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.